Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by, well, you, actually. We've been reflecting on the podcast, its history, and the incredible feedback that we've received from listeners across the world, and we're absolutely floored by how many of you really care. And it takes a lot of energy and brain power and effort to put this podcast out while we're simultaneously growing positive energy, but we could not be more thrilled about each one of you out there listening and participating in this incredibly important discourse that's so badly needed in our industry. So here's the only thing that we're asking of you. Please take a moment, go to iTunes, and give the podcast a review, and then send the podcast to someone you think might care. Our audience only expands as the reviews come in and more people are out there sharing. You all mean the world to us, and we can't say thank you enough. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello everybody and welcome back. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin, here with my trusty companion, Miguel. As always. As always. And today I have the pleasure to introduce to you Stephen Colley. Please say hello. Hello, everybody. And today we're going to be talking about something that we have discussed, touched briefly on before, and that is monolithic wall assemblies. If you go back to... Go back to the Living Inside Everywhere series, where we did uh, one episode each on the rain, air, vapor, and thermal control layers. I'm certain you'll hear embedded in there this this idea that the current construction paradigm of lightweight building assemblies that are massively layered is not necessarily the only way to do it. In fact, is not the only way to do it. And so I have been looking around for people to interview since then to talk about monolithic wall assemblies and i met steven well, i guess about a year ago now? about a year yeah. yeah and down in san antonio at a design charrette that we were doing on integrated project delivery with the coat group down there with aia and uh we've been talking ever since so finally got him into the studio to record a podcast and uh here we go Yay. so steven please All tell right. us a little about yourself your background and uh, then we'll get into the podcast Okay, um, I'm not native to San Antonio, but I've been there for about 60 years, and so that's almost <laughs> native. Well, I guess eventually yeah. you can call yourself <laughs> uh, I'm an architect. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, graduated in 76, and uh, got the bug for environmental appropriateness even in those years, and um, worked myself way through a lot of architects' offices in San Antonio and um, fell in with uh, Bill Sinken in San Antonio at the time, who was wanting to do something environmentally appropriate and uh, t- to launch uh, Solar San Antonio. And hmm. I said, well, that's icing on the cake. Let's do cake. Let's do a green building program like what Austin's done. Fantastic. And so it's, yeah, it's really grown from that. And so I was the program manager at uh, Build San Antonio Green, writing the residential green building program. And it got to a point where I said, it's got to be better than this. It's got to be better than this. You know, we could help the builders, you know, come to a point where they're doing the right thing. And uh, the builders, by and large, are doing that, uh, some by choice and some because we've got stronger codes now. Mm -hmm. But um, we can do better. And um, always being a fan of earthen construction, 
I said, this looks like the right kind of thing. You know, you can't get any more green than soil. Yeah. You know, and so uh, the attributes of earthen construction were just uh, too overwhelming to ignore and just too compelling to uh, turn your back on. Uh, it's historically appropriate, and culturally it's like all over the planet, and we used to have it here too. I've got to even have a, a small TED Talk where I go into, really? oh yeah, uh, you know, how come we're not building like this anymore? And it's a cultural change, you know. And so... Yeah, we, we're, it's sort of like <laughs> the way uh, we use oil to use as fertilizer to grow food, so it changes the way we deliver food to ourselves, and now we use energy, so much energy in our buildings to, for conditioned space that we can rethink old practices, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and we could do the right thing for the wrong reasons, but we can also do the wrong thing for the right reasons, and so I think it's time to do something different for better reasons. If we really get down to what are we really trying to do with our buildings and our residences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can think of uh, two questions that I want to start out with. One is um, defining earth and construction. And then the second, maybe in this defining it, you can tell me if, if we can use local earth, local Mm -hmm. materials or is it you have to have special materials delivered from somewhere else so well, depends start on by defining earth okay earth and construction is a construction that uses basically soil and the uh, mix in the soils is usually clay and sand and silt and the proportion of those uh, is very forgiving you know you can have roughly 15 to 20 to 25 percent clay and come with some successful structures some people actually playing with even higher percentages of clay uh, if it's too sandy, the blocks fall apart. And if it's too much clay, well, then they expand and contract too strongly. So there's mm. a, a, a wide range of what works. And so if your soil that you want to use from your particular site has got too much sand, well, just order up some clay, you know, and vice versa. I get it. And what about silt? What is silt? Silt is uh, def defined as uh, by the particle size. So the mm. particle size is... It's quite small, if I recall. It's it's uh, smaller particles than clay, and interesting. Uh, yeah, and so, but and it's all organic materials, and you've you've made sure to get out anything that's like sticks and leaves and that's correct. things like that. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. No, it's inorganic material. It's inorganic, yeah. right? Yeah, we don't want to use straw in the earthen construction in, in the way we're doing it modern now. Uh, however, straw was used in, in the earth construction in other cultures. It's like a binder. It's either, well, I always thought it was a binder. Some people have told me it helps to draw the material out. You dry the material the out. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And so, like a wick. Yeah. Right. And it's even biblical. Even talk about, you know, uh, Pharaoh had kept uh, the straw from the people who were building the mud huts. Oh, right. And you could see historically that particular period when the Pharaoh said, okay, we're not, we're not going to let you use straw. And, they could actually find the, the blocks that were made without straw. Really fascinating stuff. Wow. So I mean, it's not new. Uh, you know, I keep, when I go around and talk to people, I say, what is the oldest continuously occupied um, structure in the Western Hemisphere? And people were trying to figure out, well, what could that be? It turns out it's probably Taos Pueblo. You know, they've been living hmm. there for at least 700 years, maybe 900 years. Wow. And always without electricity, without air conditioning, and there's something to be said about that, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking about the, uh, the listeners right now, and it might be that you're, the listeners are thinking something along the lines of, wait a minute, wait a minute, why are we thinking about earth and construction? 
at all. Like before we really get our get their interest up to to understand what it is and how you do it and what are the benefits. Um, how is it that you came to want to do earth and construction in San Antonio? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> but what I see in it is that it's just a very simple material that's been around, like I said, thousands of years. And the people who are still doing it have, have really been able to figure out and doing it right. Uh, there are many countries who have earthen uh, building codes. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, we could talk a little bit more about this later, but the Earthen Construction Initiative, one of the things that we're doing is doing research. Okay. And the research arm is actually going out and getting copies or earthen codes from uh, countries who are already doing it, uh, for, like for example, New Zealand, um, Peru, and uh, New, New Zealand is doing so many good things with buildings. Oh yeah, <laughs> New Zealand is is fascinating. They're always on the list. And the nice thing about some of these too is that some of these countries are in the ring of fire, you know, so they've got seismic issues too, because seismic consideration is very strong in earthen construction. You know, there are uh, stories of historical earthen. Um, structures in Iran, for example, that have been destroyed by earthquakes. And there have been hundreds of uh, people who uh, spent some time to say, why did they fail? What was, the, you know, why are the ones that are still standing, still standing? Mm -hmm. You know, so there are some very smart technological minds out there figuring out, okay, it works here, it doesn't work here, and we've got a Templar, you know, what are we going to do when that happens? And how can we do it affordably? And in uh, Peru or, or Chile, I can't remember which, they even have a shaker table in the university that you can put a full-size earthen house on, and they'll shake the heck out of it and say, okay, what can Very we do cool. that works? And one of the things that works, they take chicken wire, and they go above the, the lintels, above the doors and windows all around and cover with plaster. Oh, and they, they nail it in place using beer bottle caps and nails. You know, so it's like real low-tech, but just one simple thing. Is goes really far to keep these things from crashing in an earthquake. Very, very cool. Yeah. So just just from the basic perspective, though, let's say I'm an architect and a client comes to me and says, you know, I really want to do um, a fantastic house, one that has low embodied energy, but is also for my family and myself is healthy and comfortable and durable and um, low maintenance and energy efficient. So maybe we'll just run through those sort of briefly. Let's try to go brief. So the health aspect would be getting into, the health and comfort both would be getting into stabilizing humidity in the mm -hmm. space. That's right. Um, you could do that. We're finding, there was a study a few years ago by John Maroney in Del Rio, and he found out that temperatures inside earthen test structures were cooler at 3 in the afternoon than they were at 9 in the morning wow. without, without air conditioning. Wow. And he went uh, further to find out, well, why is this happening? Uh -huh. uh, all of the people who were, you know, really into, um, you know, dense structures and, and, and um, thought it was thermal mass. We thought it was because it just takes a long time for heat to go through material. And he says, no, there's something else going on. And he did uh, some initial studies to find out that these blocks were damper at dawn than they were at sunset. Interesting. Interesting. So the blocks will absorb moisture overnight, and then the next day, the heat of the of the day makes that water inside the blocks evaporate, which requires heat for evaporation to take place. And pulling heat out of a room will make it cooler. And there's there's voila, there's his numbers. But uh, interesting. Yeah. So what we really want to do now, uh, 
Christoph, is we want to, in the Earth Construction Initiative, do research data logging and be able to really quantify what's going on. What is it, how fast, when, what kind of conditions, so that we could uh, eventually, what we want to do is modify um, and create, you know, earthen construction uh, codes and even help mechanical engineers so that if they're faced with a design that's maybe a thousand square foot house or could be any size. And if it's earthen walls and maybe even earthen roof, how much tonnage of air conditioning can be taken out if yeah. this really happens? Mm -hmm. And what are the effects on uh, the uh, humidity? Right. You know? Now we're into the comfort aspect of it. Exactly. The temperature will be stabilized somewhat because of the mass effect. Mm -hmm. um, the, I'm tempted to talk about putting holes in it for windows and doors, but we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> so we've covered health and comfort. One more thing about health. Oh, please is that soil is soil. You know, if you take a look at the conventional house, you've got probably nine or 10 layers of materials, sheathing, house wrap, um, plywood, and now you've got glues and you've got urea formaldehyde, so oh, you've got all yeah, sorts of things that are in conventional construction you will not find in earthen construction. So you're already, with the very structure of the house itself, a very, very healthy house as far as indoor air quality with toxins is concerned. That's huge, yeah. And so we have an episode coming up on indoor air quality. And in fact, if there's you know, a succinct list of rules for indoor air quality, it is, in fact, be mindful of what you're bringing into the space and what the space is made out of and what that introduces into the breathable zone. Oh, I know. I, I cannot uh, you know, emphasize that greater. When I design houses for clients, I try to give them a healthy housekeeping book. To, I said, now that you've got this clean house, and you've got a minimal number of toxins, don't screw it up. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's things that you need to kind of be wary of. Yeah, cleaning products in. is mm -hmm. a big one. And air fresheners, which air are completely inaccurate, right, <laughs> accurately right, right, named. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, so there's, there, there's two aspects there right there that, that I think are uh, pointing toward earth construction as being uh, Superior to conventional. Absolutely. Okay, so health and comfort. Mm -hmm. And the comfort is it's well known. The mass effect is um, a way to stabilize temperatures, and there's a solidity to that. Um, it can work independent of mechanical systems, and it can be supported by mechanical systems as well. Right, and we want to find out what that mix is. We want to find where that sweet spot is. Um, Pacific National Labs, they're interested too, but they don't have the drive. They don't have really the the demand yet for to do a lot of studies on it and so we're looking at the grassroots level to try to find people locally with um, yeah and we're in a climate where it seems it. like it would be of benefit oh absolutely yeah the high humidity all right so durability uh, and and maintenance like what does that look like what is how do you maintain an earthen building well what a lot of um, the historical buildings, like the cathedrals or churches or something that are out in the desert, a lot of times they'll have like a, a big party once a year where they'll get the people together and they'll look for little cracks. And they'll find a crack and they just they just get some mud and they'll just shove in the cracks and they have a party. So, so the same material <laughs> it was built out of, That's they, right. they put it in the cracks. That's right. And, and when you're doing compressed earth block, for example, the, the quote-unquote mortar that goes between the blocks is the same makeup as the blocks itself and so once it does you know dries and becomes part of the block it's a monolithic structure mm -hmm. and so yeah you just use the same mix 
And, and so it is 2017, and we have more modern materials available. Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, indigenous cultures might have chosen some other materials had they been available. Are there materials available to uh, protect the outside? I, what I'm thinking of is, frankly, you know, driving rain, downpour rain. I'm so glad you brought My that up. My building is, yeah. you know, making a muddy stream. Oh, I know. And, and that could happen if you're not careful or if you're not stabilizing the block. You know, a lot of... Uh, okay, so it should be stable enough that a downpour will not dissolve my wall. That's right. That's right. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, uh, guys out there building with this material, Jim Halleck, you know, he had the story where he was a purist and didn't want to have stabilized block. And then a uh, big, huge storm came up one night and he had to go run out to the building site and try to pound tarp into the walls and keep it. From, and he said, that's it. Now I'm, I'm going stabilized now. Yeah, so. And so what does that mean, stabilized <laughs> earthen construction? Okay, stabilized usually means that you, you're using a material. Sometimes it's lime. Sometimes it's Portland cement. Interesting. And some people in, in the uh, New Mexico or Arizona, they will use like an asphaltic material. Interesting. You know, and so it depends on what, you, but there's a lot of things that you can do. Yeah. Um, now, you know, a lot of people who say, well, we don't want to use Portland cement because of the high embodied energy. But we're talking about 4%, maybe as much as 7 or 8%. And... Um, John Maroney was doing some further tests to see if the percentage of Portland cement affected the trans evaporation effect. And he claimed he didn't find any noticeable problem with that. But we need to do more detailed mm-hmm. data to 4%. find out for sure. And so when it's stabilized, um, like, so what would happen? I don't know. Let's say it was a a flood or something like that. Is it stabilized enough that even that? I saw a house done before I really started getting into it that was on the Guadalupe River banks. And uh, it was uh, somebody who was using it as a wine cellar, even had it like a basement in it. And uh, they had one of those really huge floods that, um, you know, um, I saw it before and after. And on after, uh, I came back, and all of the other houses, it was just slabs. You know, there's nothing. Wow. And this thing was still there, you know. Um, the roof was a massive steel roof, and it was there, too. And he said, you know, those cypress trees along the Guadalupe, they were floating down and banging into things. And, I mean, I couldn't see any damage at all. Wow. It's really that incredible when it's stabilized So it's block. like a little bunker you're building. I mean, not a little, but it's a yeah, bunker. It's I've, very sturdy. I've got a photograph that I... I I'm, we I'll, can link to the show notes? I'm going to put to the show notes. It's a photograph of a compressed earth block machine, one of the machines that's made in San Antonio. It's in the foreground. And in the background, you'll see a compressed earth block house where the walls are there. Uh, the roof is gone, but then you realize that this machine in the foreground is all beat to hell. It was picked up by a tornado and relocated a couple hundred yards away from the job site. All of the other houses are, we're talking about slabs, bare trees and everything, but here's this machine banged up, and in the background, you can see the walls of this house that had been through a tornado. Wow. And So safety, not safety just health, is, comfort, durability, and efficiency, but safety. And Another thing that's kind of a plus is that dirt doesn't burn. Ah, fire. So you got fire issues, too. Uh, There was, uh, you know, the Bastrop fire. Uh There was uh, a woman who uh, rebuilt in Bastrop. She said, I don't want to rebuild another wood structure. She builds um, compressed earth block structure. 
she had another fire that came right up to her house, and and that was it. And she did, it didn't destroy her house a second time. Beautiful. So it's just like so many. Yeah, benefits just all add up. Yeah, and we're hoping that the insurance companies will kind of pick up on it once we have enough houses that are out there where they could say, oh, well, you know, guess what? Your insurance rate can go down because your house isn't going to burn. Beautiful. You know, that's beautiful. So the last one, so health, comfort, safety, durability, energy efficiency. You know, I, I heard you say <laughs> that it's sort of TBD a little bit on exactly the impact on the mechanical system. But, it, you know, as a physicist and engineer, we know that we have a, a higher mass assembly. So it's a thermodynamic flywheel. Mm-hmm. And so just implicit in that is that that means... I can choose when I cool the structure down because it'll coast a little longer, let's say, through the afternoon, and I can cool it down in the morning and have it coast through the day and then cool it down again in the evening after sunset Right. when and, my system runs more efficiently. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is you're using the best of prehistoric materials with 21st century technology. That's a great way to you say know, it. And it's, it's the marriage that's made in heaven. So you, you don't know? have to make a comfort sacrifice or anything? Oh, like God, that. no. Uh-huh. No, not at all. Okay, but then the other aspect of energy efficiency, which is um, not accounted for typically, um, there are there are some programs that account for embodied energy, mm-hmm. and embodied energy includes har- harvesting it, collecting it, refining it, putting it into its form where it was used. You know, mm-hmm. like OSB has a lot of embodied energy, steel tremendously so, mm-hmm. two by four so. I would Im- imagine the transportation, you don't, you're not moving this stuff as far. You, you typically try to take it right from the site and then augment it? Well, um, most of the time, you know, people have their favorite quarries. Ah. You know, like a quarry will be a place where you'll get the raw materials. And they'll either make the uh, blocks at their shop or at their plant or at the quarry. And then it's a matter of moving the blocks to the site. But, you know, it gets pretty expensive if you're going too far. But there are uh, earth quarries uh, all over Texas, you know, let alone all over the planet. You don't have to really go too far, you know, so. So I'm in downtown Austin with you right now. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to build a guest cottage in my backyard that was made out of earthen blocks, do you know where the quarries are? Personally, I don't, but some people would. But in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. There's some really sweet ones around Fredericksburg area, for example. You know, so if you're in Fredericksburg, Dripping Springs, and that area, there's places where you can get some really good stuff that's already pretty much mixed and ready to go, or about mixed. You know, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of, um, well, you sift out the big rocks, for example, and it's just a real simple screen, you know, that just kind of looks like an A-frame. You just kind of bang it into that, and you pick it up from underneath. And so, and you have it screened a little bit finer for the plaster. But the quarries, so, so I can't take the materials from my site or could I dig down and you, test you it? might you want to get below the organic layer okay. so and, and they, here I have caliche I know I've, yeah. I've hit that you can't do a caliche block I'm not 100% sure probably not it's some sort of clay you need clay to you know really to mm-hmm. bind it really well but it's easy to test and one of the one of the easy tests that that people use sort of a seat of the pants is like what they just call mayonnaise jar test you you put the the soil in in a water matrix and shake it up and you see how it falls out as far as clay silt and sand and uh you know if you need to augment you just buy what you can to augment so yeah some places you can use the soil right there on the site mm-hmm. if not you don't have to go too far uh, but i think arguably uh, when we're talking about embodied energy it's still uh, um, i think the earthen construction still wins when you consider what's involved in milling wood you know and mm-hmm. um and like you said earlier, concrete and steel, 
and huge. and if you're using and glass, but, right? But those these buildings will still have windows. They still have windows. <laughs> they still have doors and all that. And you know, like I said, we if we're using a Portland cement as the stabilizer, it's a fairly low percentage. Um, and then it comes a question: Is what have you got for your foundation? You know, if the foundation will probably be more massive than than standard homes if you're using a f typical foundation. Understood. But we're also looking at. Um, a, a type of foundation where you don't need as much concrete or steel. And what is that? Well, it's what the colloquial known as, you know, like a rubble trench foundation. Rubble trench. Yeah, and there is also there's also another name for that that uh, some engineers would prefer to use because it doesn't sound like it's trash. You know, rubble just sounds so pejorative. You mm -hmm. know. So. Um, What's the other name? I wish I remembered. <laughs> okay. If you do, just, just in, insert it in. Okay. Okay, so we've got health, comfort, safety, durability, energy, efficiency. Yeah, what else you want? And that's, that's pretty <laughs> much it. So what about windows and doors? And then I'd like to really dig into what it is and how we build these walls. But So the windows and doors, it seems like you, just from the outside looking in, you're going to need, hey, that's a good pun on windows and doors, <laughs> a steel beam, a massive wooden beam or something as, oh as good i'm glad you brought that up so what's the header usually the, the, the header can be a lot of different materials but you know at the top of the walls uh you're going to have a bond beam and the bond beam will usually be a concrete beam that's at the, the thickness of the wall it'll have a couple of um rebar in it it's interesting sort of, it's like the belt you know when you're talking about the stresses that happen at the top of thing it just kind of holds the the structure together at the top uh, that makes sense yeah and that's Standard cement, reinforced cement. You put forms up and pour it. Right. So then that means you could have a, a long window or a very long door. Oh, yeah. You still you have all any kind of, yeah, any kind of lintel could be made out of that. You can make it anything you want. Right? And then if I don't want my window head to be all the way up there at the bond beam, how does that work? I pour the... You can have a... You can have a lintel above the window and door, and then you can have earthen on top of that, and you have a bond beam on top of that, so... Okay, so you, you know you can you don't have to have that lintel be the bond beam itself. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about now what is earthen construction. As I understand, there's two main types. There's rammed earth and earthen block. Is yeah, that the, that's that's the primary ones we're looking at. Uh, but we don't want to turn our back on uh, the more decorative things that are going on, like cob construction. Cob construction is um, very, very handmade and very, very organic. If you type in cob houses in Google, you're going to see some really, you know, mystical sort of looking things that are very, very sculptural. Uh, very few straight walls and, you know, uh, mantelpieces that uh, actually become bookshelves and um, just amazing, amazing yeah, artistic yeah. stuff. Now, the trouble with that is that that's going to be really challenging for us to attack for having a building code for. And so that kind of construction, you're going to be out in the county doing yeah, it. Yeah, because it's so subjective. I mean, exactly. And, and very, the variation in quality. Yeah. I've actually read that the, um, you know, the rectilinear straight lines, flat walls, flat ceilings that we build with, there's, a, there's actually a biological uh, benefit <laughs> to having more organic shapes and amorphous uh, there probably are, curves. yeah, and that's all related to like feng shui aspects and bio biology and all sorts of other things, and I think that's there's probably something to that because there's mm -hmm. nothing about the human body that's rectilinear, so why should our environment be the same? Yeah, you know, it's and people have tried a lot of different ways and a lot of different times to do things that are 
like domes. Mm -hmm. uh, then they find out, well, how's my furniture going to fit in that? You know, there's all sorts of practical aspects to why we have yeah. 90 degree here and there. Right. And so if, and if we want to have um, monolithic high mass assemblies penetrate the, the mainstream market, why don't we just go ahead and do flat walls and <laughs> flat <laughs> yeah. ceilings? Let's just start there, right? But you could, but yeah, but you can have some fun even when you're doing compressed earth block or rammed earth because uh, the ideal roof structures for those would be domes and vaults. Interesting. And, once and you made have, out of rammed earth or earthen materials, right? So even the roof assembly, I hadn't. Oh sure, absolutely. What about what does the rain land on? There's a water you've, control you've got, layer that's right you've got a water control layer which is like a, a plaster that's you know where the water can run off it's same so you don't have to have a metal roof or you don't have to tile roof no i mean um of course you know it's no <laughs> so you have basically the rain hits a um stabilized earthen construction Right, you're you're talking about like a, co a plaster coating. So, ah, okay. and also there is there is a gentleman who's working on this material that's a, a uh, it's it's a coating material that's elastom well it's not elastomeric it's a breathable material that you can put on earthen structures that also help um, uh, fight off wind driven rain, and we're in the middle of testing a batch of that right now and we don't have the results yet but it's like a, a milky sort of coating that's added to it and so it's an added layer if wow. we into. so there's all sorts of things happening right now and and but you mentioned that one building where the tornado had or was it the flood there's a tornado yeah yeah uh, and there was a metal roof on it so that was a standard oh, that one yeah the flood that metal roof that was not a stand that's this guy wanted to do something really it was almost a, a bomb proof sort of structure this is a very serious metal frame roof uh the the metal um Panels were gone, but the frame of the metal roof was still there. Wow. So it just peeled the roof panels off. But he had an earthen construction with a steel-framed metal roof. Right. And it, it peeled the, the panels off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned Cobb, but we were, so we've talked about rammed earth and earthen block. Could yeah. you describe, sort of briefly, I know there's probably big, big subjects, but what's the difference between a rammed earth wall and an earthen block? Okay, well the rammed earth block, uh, rammed earth wall is primarily you're using two forms and you're putting soil into those forms and you're tamping it down in place. And then that's called a lift. And then you put some more soil in, you tamp it down. And so you, you just do this layer upon layer you upon layer. You move your forms up as the wall height. Changes. Exactly, yeah. And that's also stabilized with concrete, correct? Um, probably most of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some walls that aren't stabilized, but uh, I think the majority of them will have a little bit of stabilization in them for sure. Mm -hmm. um, now, compressed earth block is like rammed earth in the final product, but you take into advantage machine and there's lots of different machines that, are, that will make blocks some are even manual um, but uh, arguably one of the best machines is made in san antonio at interesting advanced earth and construction technologies uh, are you affiliated with them i'm not affiliated with them i've not, i don't i don't get any kind of kickback but the guy is just an amazing uh, mechanic and he's made these machines for years um and uh, it, they will make blocks. He likes, has three different sizes machine. Um, and uh, the small ones make like a four by six by 12 block. 
that is such a lightweight machine you can pull it behind a golf cart. You know. Wow. It's, Four by six by twelve. Is is there a standard size block? They've based it on the standard size or roughly standard size Adobe block, which is ten by fourteen by four. And that could be like three to four inches thick, but it's usually a ten by fourteen size block. And uh, and the fourteen is the thickness, or the ten is the thickness. Uh, the three or four is the thickness. And so oh, I'm sorry. No, like when you put it in the wall, how, what's the difference between the inside of the building and the outside of the building? It's not three inches. No, no. The depth of the wall the is thick- either ten uh-huh. or fourteen inches, depending on how you turn the block. Okay. So, but the thought. blocks are like like big. Bricks. Huge bricks, yeah. Uh-huh. And so uh, these blocks are roughly 35 pounds. And so this is something that's, you know, you pretty right. seriously will, will wear you out if you were to do it all day. Yeah. You know. So there's the aspect of it that really you have to keep in mind, too, is the labor aspect. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, but um, is it a DIY thing or is there it a could skill be. set you develop? It's not rocket science. You know, you could develop the skills, you know, within a week. You know, with the right kind of teacher, you know, and we just need to get more teachers out there. There's and that's the skills to do the mix, the creating the block, the putting the block in place, the right. order. Yeah, the putting the block in place is the easy stuff. I've been on workshops, maybe three or four different workshops. It's nothing to it as long as you could, you know, do line levels and know where you are and just keep things straight, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nothing tricky at all. It's a lot like conventional masonry. It's those, a lot of like, skills, I mean. Right. Collecting right. those skills. But the critical aspect, for example, the mortar doesn't have to be exactly three eighths of an inch thick. You know, you, <laughs> it's a slurry of mud that you put down to put the block in, slide it into place, and it's a little bit sloppy, but you know, you, it, you just kind of tap it until it's level and true to the wall. And, and uh, what are you tapping with? Rubber mallet? Usually. Your hand? Uh, both, but the mallet is going to be easier on your arm after a yeah, while. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Okay, so rammed earth and earthen block are... are yeah, compressed s- earth block. Compressed earth block. Yeah, and sometimes it's called SCEB, which is um, stabilized compressed earth block, as opposed to CEB. You know, it's just, it's just a technical sort of thing. So, But when they talk about CEB, most of the time it's stabilized. But that would be SCEB. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so you, though, you have, I know you're part of the Earth and Construction Initiative. Are you the founder of it? One of the original members, and I'm the president right now. Okay. Yeah. So where I was going with that is, let's say I come to you and I say, Stephen, I know you know a lot about this. You've thought a lot about it. I want to build an earthen building. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you recommend? So what approach? Rammed earth? Uh, compressed earth block, stabilized compressed earth, compressed earth block. Which the one, that, the first crayon I'd pull out of the box would be stabilized compressed earth block. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we have, uh, but uh, you know, I, I don't turn my back on uh, rammed earth because there's a, a couple of people in the San Antonio area that know how to do that, and they've done some really good examples. Mm-hmm. It just depends. You know, we we talk with the client. I would talk with the client and find out, you know, why and how and and what brought you here, and um, Smart. we'll either go one way or the other with yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I actually realized as I said that is that it's going to depend a lot on am I doing it myself, am I going to hire somebody. Yeah, how food. big it is, how elaborate it is, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, if it's something that's, uh, 
very, very easy and straightforward. Well, maybe rammed earth is really the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Can you do a two-story home? You can. Interesting. Uh, if you take a look at some of the volumes of books that are available on earth construction, there are towers that are made out of earth construction. Really? In Africa, uh, there's a bell tower in, in Yemen, I believe, that looks like it's probably 80 or 90 feet or more, you know. Uh, there is a place in Yemen called the um, Manhattan of the Desert. And these are seven, eight, nine, ten story earthen structures that were built in the last couple hundred years. And it's just like, it's just phenomenal. If you see a picture, I've seen one picture of it like at dusk, and you see well, electric lights on the inside, it just looks like, a, wow. you know, I know. <laughs> and that's because the soil there, right there where they built it, was. Well, if you, <laughs> exactly. It's really funny when I do uh, talks, I uh, say, well, how come we're building with green now and we're doing green construction, green building, and what were we doing 150 years ago? Well, 150 years ago, every building was green building because you built with what you had, with what you've got, where you are, and you had something to you had some knowledge of the climate. Yeah, it was off-grid, too. You were off-grid, that's right. <laughs> there was no grid, you know, and you had... Uh, net zero energy, net zero water. I know, and you had non-toxic materials because all those chemists who came up with the toxins weren't born yet, you know. So. <laughs> Better living through chemistry. <laughs> right, and so everything was green building back then. We're just, we're just, um, I always think we need to borrow from stuff that's gone before we shouldn't discard things just because it's old mm-hmm. you know we didn't turn our back on earth construction because we ran out of earth yeah you know it was a cultural change and it was a quicker faster better cheaper way of doing things and in the industry we've mass production of nails really made a whole lot of difference i didn't know that oh my god you know because at one point there was nails that were bang bang blacksmith bang. yeah yeah one at a time and you can't <laughs> there's not a whole lot you can do like that but with uh, interesting, yeah, the mechanism of mills to make smaller boards. After they torn down all the big trees and they got small trees, well, what are we going to do now? They came up with stud construction. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a this is a little um, maybe sounds like a dark version vision of what's happening. But so we not only have um, relatively cheap interchangeable parts, but when it comes to this stick frame assemblies that we have. We have the ability to use relatively low-skilled, exploitable labor because mm-hmm. I can just say, "Okay, you, you're out. You're asking for more money. You know, you, you're in. Nail these studs together." I mean, it's not quite that simple, but there's this cost optimization that's built in. Well, it's been a race to the bottom in the construction industry, in my opinion. You know, we have builders, bless their heart, I love a lot of them, uh, and uh, but they're in a very competitive market. You know. Um, one builder who will remain nameless proudly told me, he said, see that house over there that I finished? I said, yeah. I said, you know, if, there was, if I left one nail out of that house, it would not beat a code. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, this proud is, of that. Be proud of that? You know, so that's what we're dealing with because these guys are trying to sell a house, and if theirs is $5,000 less expensive than the competitor right next door, people don't know what the real value of that $5,000 is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if you show them an earthen house that might be fifteen percent more expensive than conventional, who's going to want that unless they realize all these aspects that we had gone over earlier, as far as the uh, health aspects, durability aspects, mm. longevity, the value, 
all those things you can't put a dollar sign on and how sick your kid's gonna be yeah you know it's it's crazy but yeah as a society and even as mammals right there's the um the anthropologist in miguel might know about this we're not wired to think long term no not at all you know yeah now yeah so low first cost and visual aesthetics that's a now and yeah i hear you so you just mentioned the number. You mentioned a fifteen percent. Is that your? That gut? is. I, is that I can't. I can't tell you how ballparky that is. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that just like it, because we really don't have the um, uh, the mass yet of people doing more than one-off homes. You know. Ah, that's a good point. You know, we don't have the the structure on board to find out. Okay, now we've got a dozen. How much do they cost? And so. Are there any proxies that you can kind of work with? For for instance, the Earthship movement that's in Taos. Do they have any studies that you know of? Not that I know of. And the Earthship is a whole different breed sure. anyway. Yeah, that's true. You know, and a whole different climate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, I like what they're doing. You know, I'm really fascinated by by that. And I'm fascinated by anybody who goes out there and builds with alternative materials. You know, there's a guy in Mason who's making a really amazing. Um, what's called a papercrete sort of material. Hmm. And it's uh, recycled paper, cellulose, and a matrix that has some um, um, Portland cement and a a binder, which is like an acrylic binder. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing stuff. And he's one of his uh, um, possible sources of of that are the scraps left over from Kimberly Clark, you know, Huggies. They've got to find a way to get rid of it. He takes it and makes blocks out of it too um wow i know it's just um, um people need to think that do i really have to build out of this stuff and we've got this problem over here what if we use that mm-hmm. or i've got a problem here with my health what can i do to have a healthy house um you don't necessarily have to look in the real estate section and see what's being built mm-hmm. you know? fascinating yeah that there's so much momentum and uh, reflexive thinking, actually. You know, I know how to build a house. I know how to build a wall. Mm-hmm. And you exclude, implicitly in that, you exclude okay, a lot of Okay, so that. we're getting close to the end here. I think the last subject I have is, let's say I've, um, first of all, I'm about to deliver a house for myself and my family, and I have the presence of mind to consider earth and construction and its benefits, and I decide I want to do it, mm-hmm. and then you, you and I initiate a construction process. What does that look like? And, and I guess what I'm thinking of specifically is um, one of the quote-unquote benefits of hollow, lightweight wall assemblies is I can put my electrical wires in there, <laughs> right. plumbing in there. Mm-hmm. How does that? How do you deal with services? Well, well before we go to deal okay. with it, what's the construction process? You put a foundation in. Mm-hmm. And told the structural engineer for the foundation, this is going to have a wall that's going to weigh X on it. Yeah, right. I know of only one engineer, and he lives in Austin, and long may he live, (laughs) (laughs) who is a big fan of earth and construction. He knows exactly what to deal, what to design without over-designing. Fantastic. Who is that? um, Michael Donahue. Michael Donahue. Fantastic. Wonderful guy. And um, um, we're talking about alternatives even to what that... Is going to be as a matter of fact he's in charge of our research arm at the earth and construction initiative and so he's really and he's behind a structural engineer he's a structural engineer 
Fantastic. Okay, so you okay, so we got, got him on board. We, you, and if whatever architect, you're the architect. Yeah, uh, hopefully I'm the architect. If not, you know somebody else who knows about the material. And so um, there are uh, aspects, of course. You can't, for example, have a really huge wall of glass. Mm-hmm. You know because well, it's just the strength aspect of it. Right. Some columns or something. Well, what what, yeah, what is the widest uh, comfortably aperture that you, you're confident would be fine? Is it? Six feet, eight feet. You can go six and eight feet, sure. You could even have uh, something wide enough to, you know, for a garage door, you know, that sort of thing. Um, That's twelve feet, typically, right? It's eight to twelve. Sometimes sixteen, if you want to do a double car garage door. You could even do a sixteen. You can do. There's nothing that says you can't. The thing is that once you start messing with your um, earthen to non-earthen opening. Uh, mm-hmm. Proportions like the rent of the floor area too. Exactly, yeah. all that stuff starts messing with you know what your some of the benefits. Are. Exactly, and so I uh, would, for example, if you're doing a car in a garage, that's a different structure anyway, you know. And be selective about your windows as mm-hmm. far as views and natural lighting and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, there's some aspects to look. But you're not going to be living in a windowless house, right? You know, it. You could make these houses look very much like what a conventional house would look like um, but ideally you're using a plaster exterior um, and for at least the time being most of the roofs are going to be conventional roofs mm-hmm. with a truss yes a wooden truss mm-hmm. and so um, okay so I've got that it could be yeah. one or two stories right and uh, now my electrician walks up mm-hmm you have that in advance, and there's also, you can actually go behind the baseboard and do electrical runs, but it's easy to dig into the the, the block to put the electrical in. And that's okay. It doesn't affect it structurally. It's just a small... No, no. Um, personally, I like to design structures where you don't have plumbing in the exterior wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a sink like that sink there. Uh, uh, radio it's... people can't see there's a sink in this room but, <laughs> but the electric I mean, the plumbing for it can come in and out of the floor and go down into the floor it doesn't have to be in the wall that's right and so I like to keep plumbing out of the wall anyway and most of the walls in the house are interior walls anyway and they'll be conventional you don't have to have earthen interior walls mm-hmm. and then you've got the usual uh, what you would do if you wanted to adapt your electrical mm-hmm. later on. but most of the time when people buy a house and build a house they're not going to do a whole lot of modification electrical plumbing anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you do want to do that, even on an earthen wall, it's not that big of a deal to you know add and things. So. Very good. So the electrical plumbing, heating and cooling. Similarly, it could go up in the attic and do ceiling supplies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Sure. Of course, ideally you're doing a VRV system, mm-hmm. and that you don't have to worry about the ducts and all the things that you That's had. True. So you other prefer ductless even? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we talked about its ability to stabilize temperature and um, in terms of hydrothermal performance, it's going to be a moisture buffer. It's going to be a hydric buffer. Yes. Stabilizing humidity. Is is there data on that, on temperature and humidity? Not yet. We just have, you know, just consequential sort of uh, qualitative but not quantitative. You know, mm-hmm. feelings about what it is. But that's one thing the ECI we're going to be doing is, is as these are built, and uh, we've got one structure in San Antonio that's finishing up right now that we want to data log the heck out of so we can see really what the fluctuations are and what is happening. Uh, Fascinating. You know, and see how 
we need to fine tune how small can we get the the, the cooling load, for mm-hmm. example, and what do we need to do with the uh, humidification, dehumidification, to get this to work? And even that might be sort of a long-term test because these blocks are a little bit damp when they're put in place, and they will dry Ooh. out over a long period of time too. So their performance on year one will probably be much different than year ten. Interesting. You know, have you uh, encountered? Have you ever lived in an earthen building? I've spent the night a few times, you know, but I've never really lived in an older one. one or not, not yet. Right, right. There was one out in the desert uh, near Presidio. Interesting. That's uh, and so this this project in San Antonio is it is it a house? It's a home. It is um, test building. What it's it? part of Esperanza Center. It's it's a West Side uh, nonprofit group, and they're uh, the women of the neighborhood are using it to make ceramics. Fascinating. And so this is going to be their their uh, workshop. And so you're going to instrument air temperature, air humidity, and try to get some surface temperatures. We're going to do whatever we can. You know, we're going to find out what uh, what hardware we need. Um, how to actually get it set up and, um, you know, get the data. And once we get the data, we'll, you know, have that for free for the world. You know, again, for you Building Science Podcast listeners, the reason we brought Stephen on is because of this vision of the art of the possible when it comes to delivering conditioned space that includes monolithic high-mass wall assemblies, um, ones where the enclosure does the heavy lifting in terms of uh, a lot of the performance benefits, right? So we talk mm-hmm, about health, mm-hmm. comfort, safety, durability, energy efficiency benefits from this construction technique. Um, it's the original green, yeah. <laughs> all off-grid. Um, any final comments, Stephen? Um, I think that pretty much hits all the high points. Of course, I'll be on the way home and I'll think, oh, damn, I should have said this, but you know. That's okay. I'll, I'll be in touch. We could put it on the show notes or something. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, and thank you guys for listening. Thank you very much. Perfect. Good job. All right. How long was that? Sure enough, Stephen had a few amendments. One thing I'd like to add about stabilization of blocks, even though we had mentioned earlier how much important it is to have stabilized block with Portland cement or some of the material, there are some people out there who are in the earth and construction business who actually prefer not to use stabilized block and they come up with something with um, materials that are just fine. The important thing is, whether it's stabilized or unstabilized, and especially unstabilized, if you're using a stucco or plaster that is durable and will keep wind-driven rain from penetrating into the block. So that's the important thing. As long as you've got something that can really be resistant to heavy rainfall, you can have a very durable building that can last many, many years. Referring to the Rebel Trench Foundation, the engineer I like to work with, he doesn't like that phrase so much because it implies that it's something that's sort of sloppy or haphazard. The word he would like to use, or the phrase he would like to use instead of Rebel Trench Foundation is compacted aggregate, uh, compacted aggregate foundation, because the size of the aggregate makes a difference, and so is the placing of it and vibrating it into place so you have a uh, very controlled foundation rather than just pouring a bunch of rocks in and thinking that's got the job done. And so that's the only other difference, changing the phrase rubble trench to compacted aggregate. Don't forget, please leave us a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends. <laughs>